I just talked to one of our startup friends a couple of days ago. They told me that as a gig economy service provider, they're actually doing the review by herself. So she has to spend like a couple of hours every day just to review all the applicants for the services. So uh, I think that is exactly why we are here helping everybody to get the issue done without involving you too much time. This is Startup Island Taiwan, the channel all about cutting-edge technology, influential global tech players, and Taiwan. Welcome to the Startup Island Taiwan podcast. My name is John from Asianometry. I'm your guest host today. And I'm here today with Guo Zheng, COO and co-founder of AuthMe. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Very happy to be here today. Yeah. Your business right now is kind of doing a very interesting thing, right? Can you tell me a little bit about it? AuthMe is actually a startup focusing on uh, identity verification issues. And we're helping everyone to make sure who you really are on all kinds of digital services. So uh, it's actually not just for financial services that we call it KYC, know your customer, but it also can be applied to many other services like car rental, sharing your vehicles with someone else or sharing your apartment like Airbnb and many other services that requires to know who the end users really are that uh, Osmin can help in that cases. So it's kind of a really interesting sort of service, right? And I didn't really know about it for the longest time. But like, can you explain to me a little bit about why KYC is important, not just in banking? And you just mentioned all these other services, but like, why should businesses care about that? Actually, uh, for all kinds of digital services, especially those has money that flows and also you rent or you borrow something that you really need to make sure who you are renting it to or borrowing it to or actually asking for service from because in the digital world, we don't know who the other person really are. So that's why we need to make sure who they are to be able to start the transaction with them. That's why we need to sign up for a account. But signing up an account is actually easy, right? You can use your mobile phone, you can use your email. That doesn't have to be real-world information. But for a lot of services, like I just mentioned about renting your stuff or have some transaction with others, that will probably need to know who you really are, whether it's because of regulations or because you have more trust on your stuff being used by someone else, but not getting the bad outcome that you don't expect for. So uh, that's when you uh, actually need someone to do that for you. So in the, I would say, Probably a decade ago, you probably still have to go to physical counter like a bank to do that kind of verification for your identity. But that's not the case anymore because you have your phone, you have a lot of different cool stuff, new technology that can help you to do that. So what we are doing is actually to help you to minimize the effort and also to help you to make it more reliable, whether you're a corporate or whether you are uh, just a user that wants to use certain kind of a service from the service provider. With that, I think Authme is a reliable third party to make sure everybody's are safe without issues. Why is KYC so difficult, right? Like you mentioned in the real world, like it's just someone goes to a physical counter, right? But then so why online is this so much more difficult? So the first thing is actually user friction issues. So I'm not sure if you have applied for internet bank or anything 
digital services like that, uh, it actually takes a lot of time. That's because you have to input a lot of information from your uh, contact number, personal info on your ID, or even upload your ID documents, take a selfie and upload it. Those information will gather and then send to the uh, manual reviewers to actually review it case by case. So it takes a lot of time. That's why people have to wait for approval. That's why people have to wait for hours or even days to get their approval for that kind of service instead of immediately got the approval and then start using that services. So that's why it caused a lot of user friction in this case. So the second part is actually because of the technology. So as you know, the AI technology has been booming, especially with the last year's generative AI has shown us a lot of things that AI are capable of. And also in terms of image AI, we have seen that deepfake or anything like that has evolved pretty fast so that it's actually difficult for people to make sure uh, what they see is a real person or a production of uh, AI. So that caused security issues. And it's not that difficult for people to forge someone else's identity to apply for those services. So that also brings to the third problem of this industry is compliance. Because knowing that kind of technology has been evolving, so the regulators are actually taking more awareness on this topic so that they will make the regulation more thorough and more complete. So for example, when financial institutions they have to do KYC to their customers, they will have to follow certain steps and rules and uh, requirements. And also they are going to have a lot of different uh, restriction on certain levels of assurance to make sure the risk is under control. So that make compliance an important issue for corporates and for all the people uh, using digital services. So how does the AuthMe solution work? Like what makes it special? What's the experience like for the end user? We simplify the entire process and make it more feasible and easier to use in that case. So uh, we have three steps. The first one is scan and pose and then verify. So by scan, we mean we scan our ID document. With our AI's algorithms help, we'll be able to identify and also uh, retrieve the information on the ID documents and make it automatically filling into the columns that needed to be filled. That's the first step. And then by doing so, we are also authenticating it to see if it is a real ID. Then we'll be able to use those information as our personal identity reference and to compare to see if the user in front of the phone is a real person by doing a selfie. While doing the selfie, we're actually doing two things. The first thing is actually facial recognitions to make sure you're the same person as shown on your ID documents. And then we will do another thing. We call it liveness detection. By liveness detection, we mean we are checking if it is a real person instead of a photo, screenshot, or even a iPad screen or a mask or anything like that. That's what we are trying to tackle with. And then by comparing these information, we'll be able to verify your true identity. And then you will be approved to do the services you are applying for. So that's the basic three steps that we are using in our case. So uh, you might wonder, I might have to do something similar like that. 
So uh, what we are doing is differently is, for example, we are actually checking if the ID document is authentic. There are actually a couple of different methods of doing so. The first one with those traditional IDs that doesn't have any biometric chips, we'll be able to actually see if the information is actually forged or not by our AI algorithm as well. And the second part is actually our proprietary technology. That means we are able to read the biometric ID. We call it biometric ID because there's a chips inside that kind of ID. For example, your passport or in many uh, cases, there are many countries that are already adopting EID so that we'll be able to read the chips inside and check the digital signature of it so that we will be able to 100% sure it's a real one instead of anyone that has forged the card, but it's not the uh, digital signature inside the chips. So I think that's one of the two differences that we're working on that differentiate ourselves from others. And in terms of our second step, the liveness detection is actually one of the uh, area that a lot of people are trying to get some new breakthrough because it's a rather new topic, especially like deepfake. It's already making it a lot more difficult than uh, than before. So using AI algorithm to fight against AI fraud attack is one of the core technology that we've been developing to help more people to protect your own digital identity. How fast is stuff moving in terms of generative AI? Like, is this changing like every week, every month? Like, how are you staying up to date on these new changes, especially on the generation side, which could present threats to kind of KYC and fraud as well? We update these kind of information by weekly basis because it's just have breakthrough uh, all the time, actually. So you have to know what kind of new threats that can be used and what institution that have published any kind of a journal or any papers that has any new breakthrough in, in this uh, area. That's what our colleagues are working on. I would say it's actually evolving really, really fast, especially the past three to four years. And then once, for example, deepfake or something, that technology comes out, how do you like evaluate it and how do you decide like, oh, this is a situation that, or this is a way to kind of break through that or whatever way you'll be able to counteract it? So because of the essence of the technology is uh, you don't always use the same way to, you probably would use the same way to excel and make it even better and better. But I think in the field of, we call it synthetic identity fraud, I would say they're trying a lot of different ways for you not to be aware of. So that means they trying method A today. At the same time, they're actually applying method B, C, D, E, F as well. So that you have to evaluate all kinds of possibilities to have a better awareness about how this attack has been forged. So the same case for how we defend it. We won't just use the same method to, to cope with this. It's actually more like building blocks. You have to have a lot of different building blocks to take care of all kinds of new uh, challenges that you have in this, we call it the field of synthetic identity fraud, especially for a cybersecurity perspective. What are the popular ways right now to commit synthetic ID fraud? So the most common way is actually like using Photoshop to uh, to make a fake ID. Oh, I mean, you must have heard it yeah, <laughs> or maybe yeah. experienced it. Yeah. 
Uh, I think that's the most common way, and it's already got a lot more advanced in the recent years, especially with the help of AI. And also, like the one that I mentioned, deepfake is the most prominent threat in this case because it's just so easy. You, know, you can simulate someone else. Of course,、uh, you have to train the algorithm to make it more authentic. So that is the challenge that we have at today's world. Do you worry that in the future that deepfake will be so good that it'll be basically impossible to distinguish? I would say that it will be so hard to be distinguished by our eyes, by human eyes. But since it's actually made by AI, I think we also have the way to push back with AI as well. I remember then, like ChatGPT, right? Like those AI detectors for ChatGPT. Like try to detect things that ChatGPT says, and they don't work very well, right? That's also another、uh, interesting perspective. So you probably have to have more ways of tracing it. Like I mentioned earlier, that we don't just trace it with like single method. You probably have to trace it with a lot of different way of doing so. A lot of time we cannot distinguish the content of ChatGPT is because it's still published by human being in that case. But in the case of digital identity fraud. With a lot of different layers of filter, we are able to actually capture some of the activity that is not reasonable or possible to serve as a safety net in that case. You mentioned that KYC right now is done by people. Do you think that people will be no longer necessary for this process, or like their role will be diminished because their eyes are no longer able to basically distinguish a deepfake or anything like that? Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. But since AI is actually trained by humans, so it's almost impossible to call it a hundred percent accurate because human beings also make mistakes. So、uh, you can reach certain level of accuracy. Let's say in a very ideal situation, that the algorithm can be trained with very, very good quality of data, and then you can reach that kind of accuracy. But still, at the end of the day, I think this human being has to make the call. But of course, with the help of AI, we can definitely make it a lot easier and save you a lot of effort, money in this case, or making sure who the users really are. So that's what we think is going to be like. In the near future, I would say. Do you think that like KYC in the future will require the need for specialized hardware, like you know Google's has those security keys they use to to like log you into things? Do you think that eventually you'll have to use some sort of like physical object to verify people? Um, that's definitely gonna be a possible way of doing so. But with Alfin, actually, we're trying not to make people to bring more device with you. Because it's just not that convenient, and we want to make it more、uh, feasible, more convenient with your already existing device. So we are actually envisioning everybody to have your digital identity on your own hand instead of being controlled by、uh, those corporates or service providers. By that we mean you don't have to repetitively being verified by those corporates by. Doing the application process by filling out all those information, by uploading your ID or your selfie, anything like that,、uh, we are envisioning、uh, that people doesn't have to do that anymore. So whenever you go, whatever services you are applying for, 
you can bring your own identity to that kind of situation that you don't have to really do it again and again. Also for those corporates, we know that privacy has become a critical issue, especially the regulations across the world are actually changing towards a more restrictive way. Even in Taiwan, we have seen that the law of privacy is actually being revised to more strict one. So we are actually trying to help everyone to protect your own identity on your hands so that enterprises doesn't need to know that much of information that they don't really need to know. Also to lower the risk of actually leaking your identity on their system. So that's what Othni are trying to do in the future. You mentioned regulation just now. Like, What are your thoughts about current regulation for this new kind of generative AI world? Like, Do you think that the regulations need updating or do you think that they're okay for now? Like people can achieve what is desired without changing those regulations or do you think they need updating? Regulations are always a couple steps slower than how technology evolves. So it's definitely not up to the standard of how generative AI has changed the world already. But with the pace of it, we think that it's just ramping up the speed, hasn't reached its full potential. So being able to have a buffer for technology to evolve is actually important so that you don't have to continuously to revise for the regulations to make it adaptable to new technology. So that's what we as a tech company are hoping to see. Governments are actually allowing more flexibility, and more buffer, so that while we try to innovate, uh, we don't actually fall into the problem of regulations in that case. That makes a lot of sense. Like the buffer is important because it helps kind of step back and see how things will actually turn out rather than like regulating what is a fear that doesn't actually exist. How does one get into this sort of business? Like how does a company like this form? Like because it's very specialized and it's very almost I say it's an interesting niche, right? What's kind of like the founding story of Othney? I'm actually not the tech guy in this company. So uh, my co-founders, Andy and Delton, they are actually back in 2017 that they founded a crypto exchange, but it was probably not the best moment to do so. But during the time, they figured out there are actually two main problems in crypto world. The first thing is how do you protect your crypto assets? Like how do you store your cryptos? By then they actually develop a co-wallet. That means a physical car that can store all the crypto instead of being breached by hackers or anything like that. But uh, like I said, it's probably not the best time. And also the cost is just too high to manufacture one because they probably adapt a lot of cutting edge technology. So it's too expensive to be produced. So uh, they decided to pivot and to go to another topics they discovered. That is KYC. While doing KYC, they actually have had a lot of headaches because back then they will have to review the users by themselves. So it just takes too much time for them. And also it's just too slow. And there's a lot of fraud. So uh, that's why they decided to start with this topic. They believe it can be done better in a better way in a, with a better technology. And that is when I think deep learning are just booming. Uh, back in 2017. So they decided to jump into this field. And in 2019, the company Altme is uh, officially founded because we are officially have commercial relationship with our big client, that is LightBank. It's probably one of the key milestones that we have throughout the founding history. 
How long did it take to kind of get a product MVP started and like how to build that? It took them like almost two years, two wow. to three years to develop the products. And we have a proof of concept and then the concept is adopted by our clients. So we decided to go further. And luckily, we got more investment after that and then to grow till now, <laughs> still <laughs> growing. <laughs> how large is the team now? Now it's around 30 people. They're all in the same office? Yeah, we are uh, mostly a physical office. Some of our colleagues are working from home. They are actually not living in Taipei. As we headquartered in Taipei, but some of our colleagues are not living in Taipei. So you mentioned earlier before this conversation that building business in the United States, like what's that been like trying to make that jump overseas from, I guess you start out in Taiwan with Line Bank, but then what's that experience been like to kind of go overseas to this new market that probably no idea who you are, right? Uh, yeah, that is one of the things that we are trying to conquer as well. So I would say identity verification is a universal requirement. It's not actually limited to certain geographic area. It's applicable to every kind of digital services, especially for financial services. But like you mentioned, going into another market is like uh, starting a new business. Every time you go into the new market, it's like doing things <laughs> once again. You have to hire a local team. You have to have your venue or even rent an office, anything like that. And it's it's a work in progress for us. So uh, we are actually spending a lot more time overseas this year, especially after the pandemic, after the border limits are all cleared off. So now we spend more time on uh, overseas market. What's important to these customers? Like, what are they trying to judge you by? Like, the criteria, whether adopt your product or another product, like, what do they care about? So I think for your market, it's actually a more diverse one. It is one of the most tech-savvy country in the world. They are able to adapt a lot of new technology and are willing to as well. So uh, for us, I think it offers us, even as a non-US-based startup, they are uh, willing to talk to us and, and listen to what we have to offer for them. And for technology, I think at the end of the day, it's how efficient you are, how uh, you are able to help them make it easier for their users so that their uh, churn rate is controlled to a certain extent. Then at the meantime, you can also stop like potential fraud or uh, questionable cases in our industry. And also to make sure it's also compliant to regulations without being sued by the government or by the consumer. So you have a team in the U.S. right now, right? Uh, we are actually hiring. So right now, the U.S. is the only market that you're thinking about foreign-wise, right? Or for now? Aside from U.S., actually, we are uh, also looking for the opportunity in Southeast Asia as well. Yeah, especially uh, countries like Indonesia is also one of the main target for us. One of the things, because I think uh, the unbanked and underbanked population, uh, around 240 million people are still 50%. So that means 120 million people are still underbanked. I think that's largely because it's a big country and it has like tens of thousands of islands. So uh, for people to actually being able to show up in a physical branch is almost difficult. At least that's what I have observed during my days in Indonesia. 
So I actually uh, live and work there for seven years. So uh, that's one of the reasons that I join often is because back then I often feel that a lot of people, especially those not living in the metropolitan areas, uh, they are actually very limited to uh, financial services. That means when they're in need of money or even for health issues, they are not able to do that because they don't have uh, money and they can only lend it from their neighborhood, their relatives. But if not, then the highly possible they have to do us is that means they cannot really pay for what they needed to survive. So that's a pity from my perspective. So I think for people to be able to be included in the financial system is important. And I think one of the key issues that they cannot do that is because they cannot prove their own identity to the financial institution in that case because they are not able to showing up physically at the physical branch. That's very interesting. So it's, you're saying that like that's one of the main reasons why banks don't take them, like that the banks, at least in Indonesia, still depend on someone at the branch showing up and opening the account, right? Yes, that's largely due to the limit of technology. That's back in the days, of course. That's back in 2018, 19. That is the case. But of course, the pandemic has uh, changed a lot of things. And I think, especially for corporates, they are more willing to explore this kind of uh, methodologies to uh, verify users on digital services. So these people probably wouldn't have like a desktop. They'd probably just have like a mobile phone, right? Yes, most of the case. That must be an interesting engineering challenge. Yes, and also the internet speed is not optimal, especially in suburban area. Keeping with what I said about like you know, on the unbanked and whatnot, what has been some of the kind of the other challenges for these smaller businesses, the small banks for kind of bringing people on? Like, why is it so hard for them to do KYC? It's actually an interesting topic because I just talked to one of our startup friends a couple of days ago. They told me that as a gig economy service provider, they're actually doing the review by herself. So she has to spend like a couple of hours every day just to review all the applicants for the services. So uh, I think that is exactly why we are here, helping everybody to get the issue done without involving you too much time on this, especially for startup or any services that are uh, not trying to really get that much detail into their daily operations. So uh, with services uh, that often can provide, I think we can help them at least uh, release most of her time on uh, reviewing all those cases. So we are uh, to help them save a lot of time and effort and also make sure their applicants, their users are happy at the same time. I think that's one of the most important things. Are they just doing like what the regulation says? Like, what are they looking at? Is there like codified standards that they have to meet or like do they have to get training? Do they have to go to class? Like, what is this? So for uh, the case of gig economy, oftentimes it's like you can provide certain service on the market, whether it's your experience or your knowledge or your service that you can provide. And to those who are actually need those kind of service, I think we can help them verify both, especially those are probably have to be in contact directly with those who needed the service. We want to help them to build trust between them because I haven't seen these people before. So how do I know if I hire someone to help me clean my house? 
How do I know if I can trust her? How do I know uh, if the people wouldn't take my belongings after they finish the work? So uh, in that case, uh, we are helping them to build trust. So what has been sort of your experience running a team in Taiwan and employing Taiwanese? And what's been the experience so far? And how would you kind of describe Taiwanese talents as compared to, like you said, the United States, maybe? I can probably share that my experience in Taiwan and in Indonesia, that's more close to what I already experienced. So I would say that Taiwanese talents are very open-minded in that case. So they are willing to accept for a lot of new uh, ideas. And at the same time, they are also hardworking compared to a lot of different places on the world. I would say that's probably because of the cultural influence. Compared to, I think, Indonesian talents, I would say they are also very good and capable. But I think in terms of culture, it's still a lot of different. But that's what we have to consider if we want to enter into a new market. Because that's not the way every business can work if you don't uh, try to adopt. Are there any sort of talents right now in Taiwan that you find challenging to hire for, like particular roles? So for these couple of years, it's actually very hard to find for us, it's computer science engineers, especially in AI area, because everybody's hiring. In Taiwan, we have a lot of good talents, but it is a pity that we doesn't have a lot of great opportunities for them to stay in Taiwan. That's one of the things that we are trying to help. That means uh, we are trying to build a good company, good environment for those talents can stay in Taiwan and doesn't have to go elsewhere. If they want to stay in Taiwan, we offer them a good place to stay and a good potential for them to show their talents, show what the skill they have. What does the future hold for Authme? Like, What's next on your plan? Like, What's the goal for the next couple of years? In terms of our business expansion, I would say we'll definitely go to a couple of different markets in that case. And in terms of how we are developing our product, I would say the digital identity is one of the main focus that we are aiming for. And we really wish everybody to, like I mentioned earlier, that we really want everyone to use their digital identity more carefully and also with more control at their own hands without being limited by the service providers. Guojin, thank you so much for coming thank on you. the podcast. I really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you, John. It's a great talk. Mm-hmm.